All right, we're going to continue our series, Free Indeed, and I want to ask you to turn to two passages of Scripture, all right? Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 8, and then put a marker at Luke 13, and it's pretty easy to get there. Uh, And these will be our first two points, John 8 on point one, uh, Luke 13 on point two, and then I'll actually ask, ask you to go back to Mark for point number three. So you just, you'll just go backward one book each time. Uh, I want to remind you a little bit of what we've already covered in the series. We started in the series, and if you haven't heard uh, all of the three previous messages, I really want to ask you to go and listen to them on the website at some point or the podcast at some point to listen so you can be on the same page and get caught up. Uh, with everyone else, and I feel like that we're building something. But I want to remind you that we talked about uh, the words demon possession in the Bible, demon possessed. And we went all the way back to the original language that the New Testament was written in Greek, uh, daimonai zomai means demon possessed. Daimonai means demon, and uh, zomai means possessed. But zomai is a Greek word that's used very infrequently And it doesn't mean ownership. And that's where I think people get messed up understanding about uh, demonic influence in the believer's lives. This word possession does not mean ownership in the Greek. It means to gain mastery over or to gain power over. So can a Christian be under the influence of a demonic spirit? Absolutely. And we gave the illustration that when you came to church, if you left a door or a window open in your home… When you went home, if there were a thief in your home, that thief would not own your home, but he would be in your home, and he would be stealing from you until he was arrested and taken out. We also gave the illustration that if a, uh, let's just say, use a man as an example, if a man took drugs or alcohol into his body, uh, even if he's a Christian man, see, that doesn't seem, that doesn't make any difference whether he's a Christian or non-Christian. If he takes an influence, a substance into his body, he can be under the influence of that. He may end up doing something very embarrassing, very shameful, totally out of character for him that he's ashamed of, embarrassed by, and that might even affect him and his friends and his family in a negative way. And in the very same way, if a man began looking at pornography, he's opening a door, he's taking a substance into his body that he will be under the influence of that and may end up doing something later that harms him and his family. So that's what we've been talking about. So just to catch you up a little bit on our series, all right? Uh, I want to uh, tell you today, we're going to talk about believers in bondage. We're going to keep nailing this subject down. And here's the reason that I'm going to continue to nail this down, because I want you to be free. And many believers never get free indeed, because they don't believe that indeed they can be in bondage. They believe, well, we're Christians, and Christians can't be in bondage. But I'm going to show you very clearly in Scripture that believers can be in bondage, all right? So, uh, here's, I'm going to give you three open doors. We talked a few weeks ago about the pride being an open door, and we saw how Satan came against Peter, came against Job, and came against Ahab because of the sin of pride. So, we're going to talk about three more open doors today, all right? Number one is continued iniquity. Continued iniquity opens a door to the demonic in our lives. So, John chapter 8, look at verse 
31. Before we read verse 31, let me just say this. Verse 32 is a very famous verse. You'll recognize it. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The only problem is that it begins with the word and, and that means it's coming out of verse 31. And we don't know many times uh, whom Jesus was speaking with when he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So verse 31 is very important, all right? So look at verse 31. It said, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Now we're talking about believers. They believed, believe believers. Who believed him. If you abide in my word, we talked about filling our house with the word of God. You are my disciples indeed, and you. Okay, use a pronoun referring back to disciples or believers. You disciples shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, this is one of the best illustrations in the Bible of people being in bondage and being blind to their bondage. I want you to, to think about what was said here. And again, I want you to remember that Jesus, these, Jesus said this to believers, to Jews who believed him. He said, you're going to have to stay in my word if you want to really be free. You're going to have to abide in the word to be free. And then they make a statement that to me is probably one of the funniest statements in the Bible. And I want, you to, I want to read it again, and I want you to just think about what they said for a moment and how funny this is, all right? Here's what they said, verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Have you ever read the Old Testament? <laughs> they had been in bondage to everyone. They'd been in bondage to the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the, the Grecians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians. The, they were in bondage to the Egyptians. Remember, they made a movie about it. Okay, you remember that? You made, Maybe you didn't read the book, but maybe you saw the movie, okay? They, they were in bondage. And listen, here's what is so amazing about this. When they, made, when they make this statement to Jesus, when they make the statement, now listen to me, they are in bondage to the Romans. <laughs> when they make the statement, why, we're Abraham's descendants. And I say, come on, think about it. And have never been in bondage to anyone, and they're in bondage when they make the statement. And you want to see something symbolic? Pastor Robert, he's preaching on, on believers being in bondage and Christians getting free. Why? We're Christians. We've never been in bondage. We're Christians. And when you make the statement, you're in bondage to pride and fear and lust and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and jealousy. Chick, you want me to go on? on? Believers can be in bondage. So, so they said, well, we've never been in bondage. Never. So Jesus decides to make it clear who's in bondage, right? So look at the very next verse, verse 34. Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is in bondage is a slave of sin. Okay, he got every one of us on that one, right? 
Whoever commits, and we're going to talk about this word commits because it's important. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. And he's talking about trying to abide in him. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about that as believers, we can choose to, to, to walk in the sonship he's given us, or we can choose to go back into slaveship and be in bondage, even as believers. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. I'm, I, I came to make you free. And, and so he makes this statement, whoever commits sin is a slave, is in bondage to sin. Okay, this word commits, very, very unique again. You can just think about it, commit, just think of the word committed. Commit, committed. Here's what it actually means. Whoever is committed, whoever is committed to continuing in sin. The, the actual word from the Greek means to formulate a plan. Now, when you think about this, whoever formulates a plan to sin is in bondage to sin. Now, we've all been there. Don't, don't, don't act pious this morning, okay? We've all been there. We've all had a sin in our lives that we formulated a plan to stay in that sin, to accommodate that sin, and to keep it hidden. That's bondage. That's, that's not a weakness. That's bondage. Uh, let me read you another verse about this. Written to believers. Again, Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know? Well, some verses say, do you not understand that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey? Obviously, slaves would represent bondage. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now, he's talking to believers. He says, don't you understand that you're going to serve now, you can decide you're either going to serve sin, and it's going to lead to death, but he's, and he's talking to believers, or you're going to serve obedience, which leads to righteousness. Which one are you going to serve? Let me show you an Old Testament scripture that's absolutely phenomenal in this. Jeremiah 7, verses 8 through 11 says, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Then he asks these questions, will you steal murder. Now, before we think simply of literal murder, remember when Jesus came in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if you hate your brother, you murdered him. Okay? Commit adultery. Remember what Jesus said about that. If a man lusts in his heart, he's already committed adultery. Will you do these things? Swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name. In other words, then come to church and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. Now, again, there are so many symbols to Jesus casting demons out of believers in Scripture that we so miss them. But one of the biggest ones is that, remember, Jesus went into the temple with a whip and drove thieves and robbers out of the temple. And we understand that we come together, and this is a temple where believers come together, but we also understand that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants to get thieves out of the temple. 
And here's what he says in Jeremiah. He said, you're still walking in this sin. You have this continued iniquity in your life. And yet when you come to church, you say, we're free. We're delivered. We're free. And here's his question. Free? Are you free to do these things? Is that what freedom means to you? Paul said, don't use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't make plans to sin. Make plans to get out of sin. Here's a good plan to get out of sin. Confess your faults to one another that you may be healed. Bring it out in the open. Uh, I I knew of a man one time that um, began having an affair, and he was a young man. And in the act of adultery, he had a heart attack and died. In, in adultery, in the act of adultery. And he was a young man. Now, I, I don't say that in any way to be judgmental or critical or look down on him in any way. I say that, though, as a warning. What he did was he cracked a door in his life to the enemy. And he didn't realize that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I want you to think about this. We talked about if you left a, a window or a door unlocked, and you came home and there was a thief in your house. Okay, but I want to just give you another illustration. None of us, none of us would, would have the doorbell ring and go and look through the little peephole and see some guys there all in, in, in you know, black shirt, black pants, you know, the, the typical robber we see, you know, got the black ski mask on, got some guns or, some, you know, some, uh, uh, a crowbar or something standing there, and we know they're coming to, to steal, kill, and destroy. None of us would unlock the door and crack it and then walk away. Would we? If you've ever looked at pornography, that's what you did. And you thought, well, I'm never going to go that far. I'm not going to do that. But it's okay to watch movies with nudity. It's okay to look at some things on the internet that aren't hardcore porn. You just unlocked it and cracked it and walked away. And I'm telling you, he'll come in. He'll come in. So number one is continued iniquity. Here's number two, continued illness. Continued illness can be, it's not always, but it can be a sign that a door's been opened and the enemy has come in and he's brought an illness with it, okay? Uh, Look at Luke chapter 13, just one, one book to the left there, or again, just click on your iPhone and iPad and you got there, you're there. Uh, Luke chapter 13. Verse 11 says, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. Okay, here, the Bible tells us there is a spirit of infirmity. There it is right there. 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. Now, that's unusual because most people called to Jesus. I just want you to notice that. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment. It's because he knows she is one of his. He calls her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed, freed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. Now, let's stop just for a moment. Uh, Jesus laid his hands on people when he prayed for them. So if Jesus put his hands on them, it'd be okay for us to put her. And I, and I don't mean, you know, like they're on TV. Don't, don't, don't knock them down, but just <laughs> gently... Okay, all right. I don't think he pushed this old woman down, okay? So, but I did want you to notice that Jesus laid his hands on people when he prayed for them, okay? 
And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, the pastor of the little church there, answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, now before we read this, let me just remind you something. You know Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Everyone know that? Okay, what you might not know is that Pharisees are the same yesterday, today, and forever. (laughs) And what Pharisees do is they quote part of the Bible and then add their interpretation to it. That's what they do. They say, well, you know, the Bible says, and what that means is, okay, okay, that's what this guy does. Watch, he, he will quote Scripture and, then, and then Scripture, and then he'll change it. There are six days on which men ought to work. Okay, that's actually the fourth commandment. That's, that's Scripture. But watch his interpretation of that Scripture. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Okay, let's, let, let, it's just, here's a woman who's been suffering 18 years, and he says to her, you should have come another day to get healed. Well, what other day do they have church? It's just, it's just ridiculous. The Lord then answered, running his campaign speech and trying to be nice to everybody, hypocrite. <laughs> Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So, now this is very important. Ought not this woman, watch what he says, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. Okay, it's very important. Jesus said, this is the daughter of Abraham. Now, there are literal sons and daughters of Abraham, natural, and there are spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. But I don't think he's referring to naturally because if we'd have read on in John 8, they said to him, why? We're, we're, we're sons of Abraham. He said, no, Abraham's not your father. If he were your father, you would believe me. The people who are true children of Abraham believe me. And then he goes on to say this, you're of your father, the devil. It's pretty strong. But let me show you just a couple other verses on true children of Abraham. And doesn't mean that we don't take the gospel of the Jew first or we don't love Israel and love the Jewish people. It doesn't mean that. But it means, though, that when you, when you accept Christ, you're a son of Abraham or a daughter of Abraham. Galatians 3 verse 7 says, Therefore know that only those, only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Galatians 3.29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Okay, so you got to remember the the Word of God is eternal. You say, well, that wasn't written yet. It was written before the foundation of the world. The Word of God's eternal. So the Bible tells us that the true children of Abraham are those who are of faith, who believe. So Jesus sets this woman free and says, this woman ought to get set free. You want to know why? She's a daughter of Abraham. She's a believer who was in bondage for 18 years, had a spirit of infirmity. Now, I'm not saying, please hear me, I'm not saying that every time you get sick, it's a demon. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying that, you know, when you sneeze, you ought to go, come out, you foul spirit. I'm not saying that, okay? I am saying, though, that sometimes in the Bible, 
demons bring sickness. And it makes sense if they're thieves and they want to steal that one of the areas they would like to steal is your health. So there, if, if you're going through a difficulty, maybe there is an open door that you didn't even know of and a spirit of infirmity came in. The, here's the great news about that though. It's something spiritual and can be taken care of. It, it, it's causing something natural in you, but if it has a spiritual root, Jesus takes care of spiritual roots that affect the natural. It's all through the Gospels. If you, if you need healing in an area, read the Gospels. Just read them over and over and over again. Okay, look, let me read you a couple of scriptures. Deuteronomy 28, verses 58 through 61. If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you. Now, this word back is important because he had taken them away when they came out. He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you are afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of the law the, will the Lord bring upon you until you're destroyed. Hey, he's saying, if you're, not gonna, if you're not going to walk with me, you're going to open a door. If you, if you decide to walk with me, you're going to open a door to sickness because he's going to bring that too. Uh, let me show you a couple of scriptures in the New Testament relating healing to the oppression of the enemy. Uh, I mean sickness to the oppression of the enemy, I should say. Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Acts 19, verses 11 and 12, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. <laughs> These are people who were sick, and not only did they get healed, but the evil spirits left them, and that's how they got healed. So again, sometimes we open a door, and we don't even know we've opened the door, and the Lord has to show us. Um, I, I had lots of accidents growing up. Some of you know this if you've been here for a while. I've talked about it before. Uh, I had lots of accidents. I mean, I was in the emergency room a whole lot. Um, about six or seven years ago, Debbie and I tried to figure up, uh, I'd broken 16 different bones, and some of them uh, more than once, and had all sorts of bizarre accidents. And uh, in 2007, we went on vacation in Colorado uh, in the summer, and uh, on the very first day of vacation, we, we were doing a, a, a sport as a family. It's very strenuous, so I would, I'd recommend don't do this. We were playing Frisbee golf. <clears throat> and I literally was looking for the next thing and stepped in a very, not, not a deep one, just a, like a small ravine and fell, broke my foot and shattered, totally shattered my shoulder. Uh, as a matter of fact, it tore the labrum. It, you probably heard of people having surgery for a 10% tear. 10% tear of their labrum. The doctor said to me, he said, uh, you tore your labrum 360 degrees. And I said to him, uh, there aren't any more degrees, are there? He said, no. If it were not for skin, your, your arm would have fallen off. Completely, you totally, 
totally detached your shoulder. They, and, the, and the socket was so shattered, they had to take bone from another part of my body to rebuild a socket for me. And then I still have uh, screws and pins and things in there. As a matter of fact, I, I preached with a sling on. I have some pictures of me I brought. They're pe- preaching with the sling on after surgery. Uh, there it is, another one there. By the way, if you're in seminary, that's a good gesture right there. That's another good gesture. So if you learn those gestures. Um, but I remember because I'd had so many accidents, I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, is there an open door in my life? And the Lord said, yes, just like that. I said, well, what, what's the open door? I couldn't think of any, any sin that was an open door. And here's what he said to me. You've believed a lie. You've believed the lie that accidents are normal for you, that you're accident prone. I remember being in the emergency room one time as a, as a child, and I'd been in there. I was in there a lot, a lot. From the time I was three years old, oh, when I was in the emergency room, hit by cars and all sorts of things on bikes and all sorts of accidents growing up. Um, but I, I was in the emergency room, and I remember hearing a nurse that knew me, because I'd been in there many times, say to my father, you know, uh, he's just accident prone. He'll be in emergency, room, emergency rooms the rest of his life. That's what I said. Now, now, she spoke a curse over me, but a curse without a cause cannot alight. And so I said, well, Lord, what's the cause? He said, you believed it. You believe it. There are many people who believe that sickness is normal for them. And they will tell you just as vehemently as anyone else, oh, I know God heals. Yes, I believe in healing, but they don't believe it for them. You're believing a lie. Continuing illness could be a sign uh, of a demonic influence in your life. And here's the um, third one, is continued influence. Continued influence. Now, if you, again, if you just flip back to your left to Mark, it's real easy, Mark chapter 7. You might just flip almost directly to it. Mark chapter 7, here's the last one, continued influence, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter, notice a young daughter, by the way, because we're going to talk about how this could affect a child, how a child could have a demon, had an unclean spirit, and the Bible's going to tell us very clearly that's a demon, heard about him. A woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. Very important why the Bible would tell us this. And we'll explain that. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, for this saying, this, this humility in your life, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Okay. Uh, a couple of things you need to understand is that uh, she's a Greek, she's not a Jew, but she's also a Syrophoenician. She, she is a, a mixture and I, I don't think that God is talking about uh, racial, interracial marriage because he never talked about that in the Bible the way we would consider it. The way he talked about it was believers and unbelievers. He, when he said don't do this, he was talking about Israel making agreements with other nations to give their sons and daughters in marriage as a business agreement. 
And he said, when you do that, you're going to bring in the gods of those nations and it's going to affect you. He was talking about believers and unbelievers. But when it talks about this, it's, it's, very, uh, it's a, a reason why it says this. Uh, she's a Syrophoenician, so she's half Phoenician. You need to know that Tyre used to be Phoenicia. It was the, the, the nation of Tyre was formerly known as the nation of Phoenicia. You need to know something about Phoenicia. Phoenicia is considered by most theologians as the seat of paganism that entered into Israel. Let, let, me, let me remind you of someone who was born in Phoenicia, Jezebel. And Jezebel married Ahab and brought the occult and witchcraft and false gods and paganism into Israel more than any other person. It came from Phoenicia. Phoenicia was an occult city. It was the seat of witchcraft and paganism. This woman was Syrophoenician, Syro meaning Syrian, and Syria through the Bible is pride. You will see all through when he talks about Syria, he talks about pride. Pride and witchcraft are the occult. Now, let me tell you, when I was studying this, how it just jumped off the page at me, and this is what I thought. You know, I think there are many believers that have this mixture in their life. Now, listen to me carefully. They're prideful because they believe that they can dabble in the occult and it not affect them. That's Syrophoenician. There's pride that we can do small things that we know are occultish and it not affect us. And let me explain what I mean by something because many of you think, oh, I, I would never dabble in the occult. Listen to me very carefully. There are demonic movies that believers watch. Demonic cartoons that we allow our children to watch. This woman had a young daughter. She had a background of the occult. It was already affecting her daughter. Uh, demonic video games. Witchcraft. Sorcery. Seances. Fortune telling. Tarot cards. Getting your future read. Here's one. Celebrating a holiday that worships ghosts and witches. Celebrating that. And by the way, if you don't know, it, it comes from the word worship. God is hallow. Halloween. Hallow means to worship. God said, you shall hallow me and me only. Amen. And if, if you don't know, if you don't know, let me make it really clear to you. Our fall festival, because we've been asked this, our fall festival is an alternative to Halloween. We mean it to be an alternative to Halloween. And please, 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 don't, don't let your children watch demonic cartoons. And, don't, and, and it's okay. Dress them up in costumes, that's great. Don't dress them up as witches. Amen. Don't dress them up as ghosts. Don't in any way open up to the occult. Don't read your horoscope. You want to know what your future is? Here it is right here. This is your future. This is what your future is. And this is what happened. This woman came out of an occult background, and her children had demons. Her daughter had a demon because she had an open door. So please, don't in any way, Ouija boards, Dungeons and Dragons. Isn't it amazing that we have games that teach our children how to conjure spells? Let me read you a scripture, Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 through 12. When you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. In other words, allows his children to get involved in witchcraft. Or one who practices witchcraft. Or a soothsayer. 
or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead, a seance. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. I remember when I learned this, I said, Lord, I want to ask you to forgive me for participating in seances, doing things as a Ouija board as a child, Halloween, all those things. I want to ask you to forgive me, and I renounce Satan and his kingdom. And I know that the Lord Jesus Christ is a true Lord, and I ask you to forgive me, and I renounce witchcraft in the occult in my life. Because I don't want an open door to the enemy, and I don't want an open door for my children. Now, let me explain one more thing about this passage. Um, She comes up, and she asks for deliverance. She's asking for deliverance for her daughter, the demon to be cast out of her daughter. That's deliverance. And Jesus makes the statement that if you don't understand biblical language, you won't understand the statement. Uh, Mark 7, 27, Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, uh, he's referencing, she's Greek, he's Jewish, and he was sent to the Jew first. Paul was sent to the Jew first. We as a church take the gospel to the Jew first. Not the Jew only, but to the Jew first. He says, let the children be filled first. What's, what's good about that is if you're Gentile is you can't get it second. <laughs> the gospel still comes to Gentiles, and we're, we're grateful for that. But he's also refer- referencing something much more because, remember, we just read Scripture that only those who are faith are the children. They're the true children. He says, let the children be filled first. And he makes this statement that, again, if you don't understand biblical language, you won't understand this. He said, uh, it's not right to take what belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. Okay. Now, I want you to just think about this. Uh, it sounds rude. It sounds cruel. Th- I'll put it in, in, in a, a reference for you. Let's say that at the end of the message, I said, I'm going to answer some questions. Uh, does anyone have a question? Let's say that a lady raises her hand and says, yes, I have a question. I say, mm, I don't talk to dogs. Anyone else have a question? <laughs> well, that's rude, isn't it? Okay. So, Jesus is not rude. He's simply using biblical language because dogs represent something in the Bible. And he's saying, this is what, the, the, because you don't, you're not, you're, you don't know the, believe in the Messiah. You're, all right, so let me show it to you, right? Revelation 22 verse 14 said, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life, and the tree of life is in heaven, and may enter through the gates into the city, this is representing heaven, but outside, outside, outside the city, outside of heaven are dogs, notice in your Bible says dogs, and sorcerers, that's people who believe in witchcraft, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices lie. Okay, so according to the Bible, outside the gates of heaven are murderers, idolaters, liars, and chihuahuas, and poodles, and labradors. That's what it said. Okay, you have no other choice. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't fathom any other choice than to believe that either outside of heaven there are literal dogs or dogs represent something. And it's very easy to know what they represent because there's a very plain scripture right there. They represent lost people. Saved people go to heaven. Lost people don't go to heaven. So dogs represent lost people. Let me show you another scripture. Philippians 3, 2, Paul said, beware of dogs. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. And he goes on to say, those who say they're believers, but they're not really believers. Okay? So beware of the unbelievers. Okay, either that's what Paul was talking about, or he was out on one of his missionary journeys one time, and he got bitten by a dog. 
And so he wrote back, now when you're out sharing the gospel, beware of dogs. This might be where we got the sign. See, you have no other choice. This is either beware of literal dogs or beware of lost people. Okay, so I think it's lost people. I think it's very clear. I think here's what Jesus said. She said, Lord, I need deliverance. Here's what he said. It's not for lost people. It's not for the lost people. Now listen to what he says. It's for the children. Now listen to me. Here's my point. If the children can't be in bondage, why did Jesus say that deliverance is for children? And he calls it the children's bread. See, what he's saying to her is, you have to believe in the Messiah to have deliverance. I'm the one that brings deliverance, and in order to get freedom, you have to believe in me. That's what he's telling her. It's not for lost people. Deliverance, she's asking for deliverance. He says, it's not for lost people. It's for children. But if children don't need it, why would it be for us? So it's pretty clear. Believers can be in bondage. And they need to be set free. So if you're in bondage, how do you get free? Same thing with this woman. You humble yourself. She said, yeah, but Lord, even dogs get crumbs. What an amazing statement. And Jesus said, for that saying right there, because of your humility, to humble yourself, your your daughter's free. When I was 30 years old, I was preaching in a conference. I started preaching shortly after I got saved at 19. And I was preaching in a conference, and I was 30 years old, and I was still, still messed up, still had things going on in my life, still working through difficulties. All of us are still working through things. But I was 30 at this time, and I was, there were three, three of us preaching in this conference. It was a Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, and Sunday morning conference. And... Um, after one of the sessions, after one of the evening sessions, I went back to the hotel and couldn't sleep, was flipping through the channels and watched something that I shouldn't watch on TV. I called Debbie actually the next day, told her I was, very, I was being open with Debbie, open with people around me about it. I wasn't trying to hide it. I just was not free. I was in bondage in that area of my life. On Sunday morning, I wasn't speaking, and one of the other uh, speakers was speaking, and he preached about believers being in bondage, not, not any of this these passages, but a to- totally different passage. But he talked about believers being in bondage. And I sat there the whole message and thought, that's me. That's me. And he re- I remember him saying, God wants to set you free today. But you'll have to humble yourself. And here's the thought that came to my mind. Well, I can't go down there. I'm one of the speakers. And the next thought, it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, if you go, I'll set you free. If you humble yourself, I'll set you free. And I had been been bondage to immorality since I was about 12 years old. Horrible immorality. And I remember when he gave the invitation, I was seated right on the front row, and I was the very first one. I was the very first one. And God set me free. And I'm going to tell you something, men. You can be free in this area. You can be free. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to give you an opportunity to be free today. But you're going to have to humble yourself, and I'm going to ask you to do what I did, and that's come forward for prayer at every campus. So if you need prayer for any area of your life, any area of your life, if you need freedom, 
And at every campus, I want to ask for every person, every person who's on our ministry team that's available. Some of you, it's already your week, you're planning on coming, but our altars have been full every service. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, in just a moment, actually some are already coming, you can, you can come. If you need prayer, you can just, you, you can come on. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and after I pray, I want you to stand up and come. And if you're on the ministry team, I need, why don't you go ahead and start coming now so you'll be ready to minister at every campus, all right? Holy Spirit, I pray that you will draw every person that needs freedom today and wants to be set free. In Jesus' name, amen. I was 19 years old when I gave my life to the Lord and everything changed. I didn't have any desire to go back to that old life. I wanted to walk with the Lord and learn more about Him. And some people helped me to learn the Bible and to learn how to pray and to learn about my new life in Christ. And that's what we want to do for you. I am so excited that you've given your life to the Lord. He's forgiven all of your sins and you're on your way to heaven. But we need to learn some things now about the Bible, about prayer, about some basics of the Christian life so that you can be victorious and live for the Lord like I know you want to. So we've designed a class called Fresh Start. And I want to encourage you to sign up for this class because we want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord now. I love you and I'm so proud of you.